so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, spirit, uh, gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of a sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warned you as I did before that those who live by this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. In your word, and we pray that it would return to you now, having achieved the purpose for which you've sent it forth. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Friends, I wonder, do you like making lists? Do you like making lists? I don't know about you, I find there's something immensely satisfying about making a to-do list. Uh, I know if I've got heaps on my plate, it's all a little bit overwhelming. I know the first thing I need to do is to make a list of all the things I need to do, even before I've made any inroads on that list, of that to-do list, started crossing things off. Just having a list gives me a sense of, of, uh, of accomplishment. Uh, from, from all accounts, from all accounts, uh, John Wesley, one of the founding fathers of the evangelical movement, if, you've, um, if you were um, at, the, uh, at the church history event uh, yesterday, you'll know, uh, from all accounts, one of the founding fathers of evangelicalism. From all accounts, he was a big fan of his lists. Uh, his specialty wasn't so much generic to-do lists, but instead, long lists of religious do's and don'ts. Uh, he got into the habit of making these lists from an early age, and it stuck with him. He found it helpful, and so he assumed that everyone else would find it helpful as well. Uh, and all of these religious do's and don'ts they were geared towards helping people to be holy. Now, nothing was off limits for him. Nothing was too big or too small. Uh, let me give you a few examples. Uh, if you're a Christian and you're in the business of selling a horse, don't sell a dud and don't overstate its abilities. In other words, um, Christian, uh, be honest in your business transactions. Be a person of integrity. Wesley weighed in on how Christians should appear to the watching world, how we should dress. Um, women don't dress ostentatiously, he said. In fact, he told Methodist preachers, if a woman comes to a small group meeting wearing an enormous bonnet, don't let her in, refuse her entry. Uh, he also had really specific do's and don'ts about how to preach and how to lead services. For example, take care not to ramble, but keep to your text. Speaking of which, we're going to get to Galatians 5 in just, just a moment. Uh, don't pray above 8 or 10 minutes without a break. It's helpful advice. In repeating the Lord's Prayer, 
remember to say hallowed, not hollowed be your name. It's just a little taste of the very granular do's and don'ts that Wesley, uh, the advice that Wesley had to give. So what do we make of them? If you were to ask Wesley, what place do these have in the Christian life? All of these lists, so many do's, so many don'ts. Are you saying that keeping these lists makes me a Christian? Are you saying that keeping them keeps me a Christian? I think if you were to ask Wesley that question straight out, he'd be horrified. As far as Wesley is concerned, nothing that we do can earn our salvation. Salvation, his, mine, yours, it's completely by God's free grace. He put it this way, neither our inward nor outward righteousness is the ground of our justification. Holiness of heart as well as holiness of life isn't the cause but the effect of our justification. The sole cause of our acceptance with God is the righteousness and the death of Christ who fulfilled God's law and died in our stead. Did you hear what Wesley's saying? He's saying that at its core, Christianity is about what God has done. Our doing, it's only and ever and always a response to God's grace. Salvation is by faith alone, which is never alone. This brings us to our passage this morning in Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's a passage that's full of do's and don'ts. Did you notice that? It's hard not to. Look look at all the don'ts. At the end of verse 20, do you want to inherit the kingdom of God? Then here's a whole list of don'ts. Don't produce works of the flesh. What are they? Well, Paul doesn't leave us guessing. He gives us a whole host of examples. From verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things won't inherit the kingdom of God. But it's not just a list of don'ts, is it? There's a bunch of do's as well. The don'ts, if they're the works of the flesh, the fruit of our fallen nature then the do's, they're the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. So our passage this morning is full of long lists of rules, and yet, just as if we were to ask Wesley, What's the point of all your do's and don'ts? Likewise, if we were to ask the Apostle Paul, what should we make of these long lists? What are you saying, Paul? Are you saying that if we make a sincere enough effort to keep these, uh, keep these do's and, um, and shy away from these don'ts, then God will save us? Is that what you're saying? How would Paul respond? Well, passionately, I suspect. By no means, he'd say, or something to that effect. That's the last thing I want you to think. 
He'd say, if you've read these verses and you think that I'm teaching that we're saved by what we do, that we contribute anything to our standing before God, then you have completely misunderstood me. Read the rest of my letter, the first half in particular. As far as God is concerned, false religion is about do. It's a complete lie that we can earn our salvation. And not only that, it's just as much a lie that we can maintain our salvation by what we do. As though God starts us off on the right track and then leaves completing the job to our own initiative. False religion is about do. But true religion, biblical Christianity, your foundation here at St. Stephen's is trusting in what God has done for you. Paul said as much explicitly earlier on in his letter. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians 2, 16. We know that a person isn't justified, isn't declared not guilty by works of the law. In other words, by what we do. But how then? If not, by, if not by that, if not by works, then how? But through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, in what God has done in and through him. That's why when we come to Paul's list of moral imperatives in Galatians 5 this morning, his do's and don'ts, that's why it's so important to remember who he's speaking to. Who's he speaking to? Well, he's speaking to people who've already been converted, who are already Christians. He's saying to them, and he's saying to us, if we've received the Spirit, now walk in the Spirit. Why does he call us to walk this way? Well, not, not, not so that we'll become acceptable in God's eyes. And not so that we'll stay acceptable in God's eyes. The reason he calls us to walk in freedom is because Christ has freed us to walk in freedom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And friends, taking my cues from these verses, I have three exhortations for us all this morning. Three do's and some associated don'ts. The first is this, and it's first because I take it to be the matter of first importance. First thing is this, hold fast to the gospel, to the liberating good news of what God has done. Not the anti-gospel, the enslaving bad news of do. Friends, your temptation, my temptation, every Christian's temptation is to confuse the root of the gospel with the fruit of the gospel. Now, to be sure, as Paul makes clear, the fruit of the gospel matters. Jesus himself says as much, doesn't he? By their fruit you shall know them. In this passage, Paul is adamant, fruit matters. But friends, he's equally clear. This fruit, a changed life, it's just that. It's fruit. It's not the root. What's the root? The root is the objective, external, justifying declaration of God. And it's out of this that flows fruit. A life transformed by the Spirit. So my first exhortation is this. 
Hold fast to the gospel of what God has done. By fallen nature, we gravitate towards an anti-gospel of law, and it is death to our souls. Don't allow the good news to devolve into the bad news of what we must do to earn God's favour. That's my first exhortation. The second follows. I think two things come pretty naturally for us as fallen people. The first is failing to get grace, and the second is abusing it, this temptation to abuse grace. And so, friends, know the ways that you are tempted to abuse grace, misuse the freedom that we have in Christ. What are these abuses? What are these misuses? Well, on the one hand, Paul's all too aware that there's a legalist lurking inside each and every one of us. That's why he says in chapter 5, verse 1, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, Christian, don't ever forget your efforts won't save you. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that they can. But on the other hand, he's all too aware that there's a libertine lurking inside each and every one of us as well. The part of us that, that wants to take advantage of God's grace. The voice of presumption that says, I'm in the business of sinning. God's in the business of forgiving. In fact, the more I sin, the more he gets to forgive. And the more he forgives, the more glory he gets. Surely, in a perverse kind of way, this is a win-win deal for all concerned. Paul knows that there's a libertine lurking inside each and every one of us. That's why he says in verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In other words, the freedom that we have in Christ, it's not just freedom from, not just freedom from the curse of the law, it's a freedom for. Why has God set us free? What sort of freedom do we have? Well, it's freedom to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength and mind. The freedom we have, it's a freedom to love our neighbour as ourselves. And the thing is, it's always been this way. This pattern, the imperative, the do, flowing out of the indicative, the done. Our lives being a response to God's initiative, not the other way around. This has always been God's way. Think about the, the circumstances when God gave that most famous list of do's and don'ts, when he gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. What happened there? What didn't happen there? Well, it wasn't as though God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, this religious list of do's and don'ts, waited to see if they came up to scratch and then rewarded them by setting them free. Well, no, it was the exact opposite, wasn't it? Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God saves his people first. He saves his people first. And then, and only then, he gives them the Ten Commandments. In other words, in Paul's words, it's for freedom that I have set you free. You want to know how to live free? Here's how. And he proceeds to give them the Ten Commandments. The imperative, the do, it flows out of the indicative, what God has done for us. It always has. It's God's consistent way 
of dealing. It was under the old covenant and it still is under the new. So my second exhortation is this. Christian, know yourself. Know yourself. Know the ways you are tempted to abuse, to misuse God's kindness, his free grace. My third is this. We're saved by faith alone and this faith, true faith, it's never alone. If it's true faith, it produces fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And this fruit, and this is my particular challenge, this fruit, it's never lived out alone. These fruits, they're always lived out, they're always expressed, produced in relationship with others. When it comes to the do's and don'ts in our passage, did you notice how relational all of this fruit is? Not just the fruit of the spirit, mind you, but the fruit of the flesh as well. Friends, there'll be times when people might say to you, you might might even be tempted to say to yourself, if my sin, fruit of the flesh, if my sin, if it's not hurting anyone, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? My private sins... Are they really that bad? But notice the way God describes the fruit of our lives in these verses. It's always relational. It's never private. There's no such thing as private sin in God's eyes. Sexual immorality, it's intrinsically relational. Never private. Rivalry, dissensions, divisions... They're all intrinsically relational, aren't they? These breakdowns, these ruptures, they happen with other people. They're all the furthest thing from private sins. Same goes for fruit of the Spirit. Patience and kindness, for example. Because of God's patience with us, his kindness towards us. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we strive to imitate his kindness And his patience. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate. In splendid isolation? Well, no. To one another. Forgiving each other, says Paul. Why? Well, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Friends, it's wonderful to see so many of us gathered here today. Uh, But maybe, just maybe, you've been a little disconnected from the community here at St. Stephen's. A little on a little off. If so, be encouraged. Be encouraged that God has saved you to do good works, to produce fruit of the Spirit and to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ here at church. Well, friends, it's been a pleasure to spend this last week with you. What have we seen here this morning in our passage this morning? Well, we've seen that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but true faith, it's never alone. If it's true faith, it produces fruit. And my prayer is that by God's grace, you'd be a fruitful bunch here at St. Stephen's, that those around you would know that you are followers of Jesus by the fruit in your lives. Let me pray for us.